as we begin here, I want you to imagine two different scenes, but two different scenes that, that have some commonalities, but with totally different outcomes. First one, if you've ever been on a plane, this may be very easy to imagine. Imagine you're on a plane and you go through a bit of turbulence. What does that feel like? What does that feel like when the, the light comes on and the, the pilot says, folks, we're hitting a bit of turbulence here, and so we're going to need you to, to stay in your seat with your, with your seat belts on, make sure they are securely fastened, uh, and we're going to cease the, the beverage service for the rest of this flight. I saw a couple of people go, ooh. <laughs> They're stopping the drinks. That's a bad, that's a bad thing. And then on the other hand, I want you to picture a birth, a new child, a family expanding. Now, there, there are some commonalities between these two images. Both of them involve trauma. Both of them involve talking to people we probably normally wouldn't talk to. Both of them involve us maybe feeling a little queasy and a little bit out of sorts. But the end result of these two scenes is vastly different. You know, uh, Katie and I have flown a number of times, and, and sure, there have been times that there has been turbulence. I remember one particular instance flying out of the Quad City International Airport early in our marriage uh, when the pilot came on and said, folks, there's a storm coming, and we're going to try to beat it out, out uh, and get you out to Chicago faster than the storm. And, you could actually see the storm clouds rolling in on the horizon. You go, ah, that, the, ah, okay. <laughs> you know, that was a memory, and, and we, we all went through that on that plane together. Um, but I don't remember any of the people there. It didn't have a lasting impact on our lives, save for a good story, a funny memory. Whereas the birth of our sons was life-altering, it was changing. Same kind of, uh, of emotions, the same kind of, uh, some similarities there, but they had vastly different effects. And so we want to talk about that as it relates to relationships in the church. How are we connected? What, what's the, what's the, the effect of the gospel on our relationships with one another as a family of God. Now, we are in our second week here of, of kind of the vision rollout for expanding Christ's community through relationship, discipleship, and worship. And, and as we are focusing on relationship, this week we want to focus on relationships within the congregation, relationships within a particular church. And so to do that, we're going to turn to Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. So if you have your Bible, please go ahead and get that out and turn to Galatians 5, 13. Uh, Galatians uh, is one of the smaller letters that, that Paul wrote. It is right before Ephesians. It is right after 2 Corinthians. We are in chapter 5, 13 through 26. One of the funny little quirks about this, this, these next four weeks is almost every passage is going to end on verse 26. It was confusing in the office this week. 
So, hear God's word as I share it with you. Paul writes to them, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as, uh, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This is God's Word to us today. Let's pray. Lord, we come again to your word, and we are thankful for its instruction to us. We are thankful that you have addressed every aspect of life, because you came to bring life and to bring it to the full. So help us to learn what it means to be your people, learn what it means to live in your spirit, and to throw away the things of this world which would devour us. Strengthen my words during this time, for mine are empty, just a vapor in the wind. But you, O God, you hold the very words of eternal life. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As I mentioned this first part, the, these two images paint a picture of two entirely different results through traumatic experiences. And we may wonder, what is it that, that the gospel has to say about relationships? And we, we want to understand that, that relationships are not just kind of a byproduct of the gospel, Relationships are a primary work of the gospel. What do I mean by that? That they're not a side effect and they are a primary work of the gospel. There are some things that we do in life that are just kind of a byproduct of of the relationships we have, of the of the career path we have chosen. You know, I when someone uh, recently read something I had written, they said, "Well, it's kind of a bit wordy," and I said, "Occupational hazard." It's kind of the way. You have an English teacher that turned into a pastor. You're welcome. <laughs> Maybe wordy, but it's precise. The, 
it's kind of a byproduct, you know, uh, a byproduct of teaching English is that I just kind of scan over grammar. In my last presbytery, the stated clerk of the presbytery said, please do not look at anything I write. <laughs> I know it's wrong, and I know you know how to correct it, but I just know. It's a byproduct of who we are. You know, I didn't get into, uh, initially when I became an English teacher, I didn't get into it to just go around correcting people's grammar. It just sort of happens. Likewise, if you are in different careers, if you are a teacher, you didn't get into it so that you could uh, teach everywhere you go, but it probably is kind of a byproduct. That's the way that some of our things... And so the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, relationships aren't just a byproduct. They are a primary product of the gospel. Jesus Christ came so that we could have a renewed relationship with God and with one another. And so as we think about congregations, we, when we think about congregations, we may have the idea that, well, you know, it's kind of an, a voluntary organization. I can, I can choose to join if I want to, and if, I, if the community isn't meeting my needs, then I can choose to leave as well if I want to. And this is common. This is common all across the United States. We see churches with huge turnover. No longer are we in the situation where you kind of went to your own local community church. We have regional churches. We have mega churches. And I'm not making an assessment about the morality of that. We could have an entirely different conversation about church size. But what I'm saying is that the relationships aren't just voluntary. They're a primary work of the gospel, and they are a primary demonstration to the world of Christ. You know, when Jesus prayed in John, and I believe it was in John 17, Jesus prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one, so that all people may know who Christ is, so that all people could know that, that our life together, our relationships together, the way that we treat one another, the way that we interact, <coughs> excuse me, air quality issues, uh, the way that we interact with one another, the way that we deal with conflict, the way that we celebrate one another, the way that we strengthen one another, the way that we process loss as a community, all of that is to go as a witness to the surrounding community of the love and nature of Jesus Christ. Not often do we look at the gospel and think about that. We have grown up in a culture that values individualism. We have grown up in a culture that, that values, you know, do the right thing, get your, get your act together, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and, and don't rely on anyone. And it follows us through even to the very end of life. The number of times that I have sat with families and I have, uh, have heard the, the indication that, well, we know that mom and dad should probably not be in their own home anymore, but they just don't want to give it up. We have 
been sold this idea that we are to do it individually, no matter what, even if we can't. And the gospel addresses that directly by saying, you can't, so rely on Christ and rely on one another. All throughout the history of the Bible, you see a story of God calling a people to himself. It's not a rescue mission per se. It's, it's not a fire brigade. It's not a helicopter lift out. We, Katie and I, also, uh, we lived in New England. We lived close enough to Mount Washington, which is a, uh, the highest peak on the eastern side of the United States. Weather conditions change rapidly on Mount Washington. It can be sunny at the base of Mount Washington and 60 degrees and snowing and blustery at the top. And what that does is it creates a situation where when people don't know what they're getting into, they have to be life flighted out. Because they started at the base of Mount Washington in, you know, wingtips and shorts. And they quickly discover that they are in life-threatening situations. And it wasn't uncommon to hear that someone had died on Mount Washington because they weren't prepared. We think of those moments as rescue situations where, where we're plucked out of the dangerous situation and put back somewhere where we are safe. And sometimes I think that idea can pervade the church as well, that we are plucked out of danger from sin and put somewhere else with little bearing on the relationships around us, like we are all in this room and saved individually, but with no relationship to one another. And yet, as we see through Jesus, as we see through Paul, as we see through Peter, we are created as a new people. Paul is addressing the Galatians, a church which had been going great, actually. They, they had been living out the gospel, and then some people came in and said, no, nah, in order to really follow the gospel, by the way, you have to follow the, follow the Jewish customs, but not all of them, just a few of them, first. And then you'll be acceptable. The net result on the gospel at Galatia was that relationships broke down. There was infighting. Paul wasn't giving this list uh, of warnings for no reason. There was infighting at the church of Galatia. There was, there was strife. There were divisions. There was jealousy. There was, there, was, there was pride. And Paul had to come in and say, whoa, time out. Galatians, this is not the gospel. Be careful if you're starting to argue with one another. You might devour one another and then there will be nothing left. And that's where we pick up in this letter is where Paul is saying, so here's what it looks like if you're trying to do this on your own, Galatians. Here, here's what's going to happen. You're going to encounter all sorts of sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft. You know, Paul starts off that area with those, with those particular ones, and I think a lot of us who have a basic concept of Christian life together go, well, I haven't done those, so I'm, I'm kind of in the clear here. So, but we don't listen to the rest of the story, as uh, Paul Harvey would put it. 
we don't listen to the rest of the list. We kind of gloss over it. And Paul starts to get into some things that, that hit a lot closer to home. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Sadly, churches are not unfamiliar with dissensions and factions and envy and jealousy, even fits of rage. In my work with my former presbytery, I was in on an elder meeting where it almost came to blows, physically. Again, we ask the question, is this the church that Jesus Christ died for? These things can, can threaten to devour us, but they are signs that we are not living by the gospel. They are signs that, that we have missed the mark somehow. If we feel that we have been saved and yet these things are still present in, in a characteristic form, in a, in, a, in a form that defines our life, then we have something to be worried about. That's what Paul is saying. If, if any of this exists as a part of your life, Galatians, as a part of our life, then there is something to be concerned about and something to root out and something to examine. And we struggle with those things because they come so, so naturally. We come as broken people to the church but as we say every week, we believe that the gospel transforms everything. Are we allowing the gospel of Jesus Christ to get into those areas, to get into our relationships? One of the things that we could have had the kids do was stand up and turn around and say, look, this is your family. No one start thinking about who the crazy uncle is. But we are called to be the family of God, not just as a, as a, as a name that's, uh, that's kind of, oh, that sounds nice. But we are called to be a family in relationship with one another, living out our Christian life, strengthened by one another, and to have lives that are characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. As Peter put it in his first letter, we are a chosen people. This is 1 Peter chapter 2. We are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Where is our primary allegiance? Is our primary allegiance to the culture of this world or is our primary allegiance to the family of God? That's a, that's a compelling question in the way that we relate to one another. We are to live into the qualities that Paul highlights. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Many of you may know it as patience. He, this translation uses forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. 
Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. As we think about these qualities, these are not something that should just exist exist in pockets. They are something that should characterize the entire community. It's good if we have a few people saying that, yeah, I experienced that in, in church. But we want the entire community to be characterized by this. That, that these things would not be something that we put on on a Sunday morning. They are things that are reflexive to who we are. Kind of like when the doctor hits your knee, just goes out. That these characteristics, these fruit of the Spirit, would be something that come out of our nature, that come out of us by nature. You know, we have a lot of jokes uh, these days where we talk about, you know, listen, don't talk to me until I've had my first cup of coffee. We've joked about that in the office too, and I drink decaf and I say that. But we want these things to come so naturally that when we wake up, that they are a part of who we are. That the love of Christ is so imbued in our hearts that they, it can't help but spill over. It can't help but affect our behavior. It can't, uh, uh, can't help but affect our attitudes. It can't help but affect our values. There's something that flows from the inside out. And that takes time. It takes a lot of time. And it takes persistence. If you notice that uh, Paul says the works of the flesh, but he says the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is something that is produced naturally by whatever vine or tree produces it. You don't have to go up to an apple tree and be like, hey, this year, apples. Well, let's get on it. No, it is something that it produces by nature in the correct season, given, given proper watering and nourishment. That's what happens. But the works of the Spirit, the, that just what wants to come out is something that happens by our sinful nature. And what Paul says there is that we are to crucify that nature with Christ and then live into these new relationships with one another. I was reading uh, a bit of research by the Barna Group this week. Barna does a lot of uh, research surrounding churches and, uh, and faith. And they did a survey as to, what, as to people's favorability to Jesus and what prevents them from believing in Christianity. Very interestingly, 71% of people who responded to the Barna poll said that they have a favorable view of Jesus. 71%, 7 in 10 people. But when asked what prevents them from believing in Jesus and believing in Christianity, 42%, the highest group, said that the hypocrisy of the church is what prevented them from believing in Jesus. It tells us that Jesus isn't the problem. We are. 
And it's a reason we have to live into our relationships, just as Paul admonished the Galatians that he admonishes us now through the same words, to live into that new way of being. To crucify those things that that want to rule and to dominate us, but from which we have been set free. Not free to live in whatever way we see fit, but free to live into the Spirit of God and to live into the new life that comes through Jesus Christ. So how do we measure? For so long, churches have measured health by attendance, and we call it the ABCs, attendance, buildings, and contributions. Very rarely do you see churches that say, you know what, our metric is going to be the quality of our relationships. How much do I feel like a part of the family of God when I am with this congregation? How does this congregation help me live into the fruit of the Spirit and crucify the works of the flesh? In the past 12 months, think back to a year ago as summer was cranking up. Are we more like Jesus or less like Jesus? That's that's a much more difficult question to answer. But that's the question that the gospel calls us to answer. Not how many of us are here at this hour, because I'm a pastor. I, I have no illusions. You can be here and totally checked out from this moment. That's why we, we can joke that the definition of a pastor is someone who, spe- someone who talks in someone else's sleep. But what is the quality of our relationships? Are we more like Christ towards one another? Are we living into love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness? self-control? Are we more like Jesus this year than we were last year? It's a difficult question, but that's how we're going to measure our faithfulness. That's how we are called to measure whether we are hitting our mission We don't just expand Christ's community by saying, okay, there are more of us here than last year. Are we more like Jesus? Do we love one another more deeply? Is the honesty and authenticity of our our communion strengthened? Are we more like Christ? This is the, the it's a difficult shift to make. We love to, to count concrete things. We, we love to fix things that are visibly broken, but when it comes to relationships, it's so much harder because we can't exactly see the whole picture. If a water fountain is broken, we know it's broken. We know to call a plumber. But when our relationships have broken, do we view that with the same urgency 
and with the same passion and resource. That is one of the goals that we will start to live into, and by God's grace that we will live into relationship better with one another. My prayer for us is that we would be, that we would not be an obstacle to people knowing Jesus Christ because they would look at us together and say, it must be real. There is no way that this collection of people could hold together and to love one another were there not something else working. Let's pray. Lord, be present in our relationships. Help us more and more to learn what it means to to love like you love, to care like you care, to sacrifice as you sacrificed. Help us to see this picture of what it means to be your people, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Help us to become that here so that you may be known wherever we go. Jesus, we thank you for what you have done. And we ask for your help. In your name we pray. Amen.